Go with me to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. Recently, we've been going very slowly, methodically, to the portion of Scripture that teaches us about spiritual warfare. A portion of Scripture that talks about the reality that we're in the midst of a spiritual battle. So I'm going to read the portion of Scripture again. I want to drive this home over and over again by reading it. And uh, I want to uh, look at the last piece of the armor that we haven't looked at, which is the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit. So as we look at the Scriptures, read with me Ephesians 10 on down. Reads this way. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. In the heavenly places. Excuse me. Uh, verse 12. Verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Verse 14. Stand therefore. Having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shot your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints." Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for opening up our eyes to understand and rightly apply your word. What is the point of knowing your word if we're not applying it? Lord, I thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit to bring this home in my life, in all of our lives, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise God. So we look at this text, as this portion of scripture, so far we've affirmed some things that I'm just going to go to very quickly so that we would all be on the same page. Number one, we affirm that our enemy is spiritual. Remember that? Our enemy is spiritual, whatever may be happening in our government, whatever may be happening in the world. Our enemy is not flesh and blood. There is an influence out there, right? There is an influence, and we need to be careful to make sure that we're addressing the influence that's overpowering uh, our, our whatever situation we're dealing with. We also learned that our enemy is strategic, right? We said that our enemy is no dummy. Our enemy is no loser, but rather it's a very formidable enemy, an enemy that knows how to attack, an enemy who strategizes a way to steal, kill, and destroy. That's the only plan of the enemy, to steal, kill, and destroy. And a preacher, Matt Anderson, said something, you know, sometimes we take for granted, or we forget what the enemy has planned to, to do. Sometimes we come to church on Sunday and we receive a great word. So what is the immediate plan of the enemy on Monday? To steal. How can he take the seed that the Lord has planted in our hearts, right? So we have to be aware that the enemy's plan is to steal, kill, and destroy, particularly the church. We have to be aware that we have everything that we need. Even though the enemy is very real and the enemy is very strong and the enemy does really attack us, you and I 
have everything we need in Christ Jesus to overcome. The Bible says that he has given us everything we need for life and godliness, that we would escape the corruption of the flesh and its sinful desires. Everything we need, God has given us. But the deal is this. You and I have to apply what God has given us in order to have the victory. Right? I want to reaffirm these things. Just because I have the things that I need doesn't mean that I'm using the things that I need. You can send me to school, to the fanciest school in the world. You can buy all the books that I'll need. You can give me all the tutors that I, would, I could desire. But if I'm not applying myself to my studies, and, and if I'm not taking the exams, then more than likely, I'm not going to pass the class, right? God has given us all the tools that we need, but we need to apply those tools. And so we've talked about them. We talked about the belt of truth. And the belt of truth symbolizes several things. Jesus is the truth. In him we have victory. We look to him to be our compass for what's morally right and wrong, uh, to, to lead us into righteousness and, and godliness and, and, to not, and, and to lead us away from deception and the lies of the enemy that so easily entangles us, right? So we have affirmed as believers Jesus is the truth. He is the life, the truth, and the way. And so our life as believers, we don't make apologies for this. As believers, our lives are in him. Okay? We also affirm that the belt of truth, which holds all of the equipment together, the belt of truth also speaks about you and I walking in sincerity. A Christian shouldn't be the finest hypocris- uh, as a hypocrite. Because girding ourselves with the belt of truth speaks of sincerity. That sincerity says, Jesus is the one that's perfect. I'm not. But because of his grace and his love, this I am who I am. Right? Walking in sincerity. We talked about the breastplate. The breastplate guards all of the vital organs of the body. Uh, mo- the, right here, the intestine, all, all of these vital organs in, in this section, guarding our witness and our testimony. The breastplate talks about our responsibility to guard our testimony. I can preach to, we can preach the greatest sermon in the world, but if people know that we're not living right, it's going to affect our witness, right? We also talked about the shoes of the gospel of peace, which means that you and I have to walk intentionally to share the good news, the hope and the peace and the love that there is in Christ. Intentionally sharing the good news of the Lord. We've talked about the shield of faith. And the shield served for several things. Number one, to protect from the attacks of the enemy. But also the soldiers would lock arm in arm and move forward, advance the kingdom of God. Right? So that shield serves for those purposes. It meant to guard us, to protect us from all of the fiery darts of the enemy and to advance the kingdom of God. And then lastly, last week, we talked about the helmet of salvation. We talked about how the helmet of salvation speaks about our meditation and how we have to meditate on what God says about us instead of the way that we feel and the things that the world says about us. And let me tell you, man, I've been practicing this. I, I want you to know that when I'm preaching a message, God is rebuking me through it when I'm preparing it's like, ouch, that hurts. God, do I have to preach that? I'd rather highlight that with a black magic marker. That's a difficult deal, right? And so sometimes when I'm preparing and, and looking at the Scripture, it's really tough. And I realized that I was pre- as I was preparing for the helmet of salvation, I do very little meditating on what God has done for me because I'm always focusing on what I have to do. Then I realized that I'm really ineffective when I focus on what I have to do without realizing what Christ has already done for me. Then all of a sudden I realize that I'm not receiving God's grace and mercy for my life because I don't take the time to be still and just park and rejoice and thank God. God, I'm so thankful that I'm saved, not because of what I do, but because of what you've done. So that was so lacking in my life that instead I was trying to find affirmation through the works that I did. 
And if you've done that long enough, you know that doesn't work, right? And so we talked about the helmet of salvation, meditating on God's word, on his goodness, on his mercy and his grace, and letting his word, his grace and mercy change the way we feel and the way we think about ourselves as opposed to letting our thinking and our, and our feelings change what the word of God says about grace and mercy. Are you with me so far? So today we talk about the sword of the Spirit, right? Today we are talking about the Word of God. The Scripture describes it this way, verse 17, And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So according to the Scriptures, the Word of God, this Bible, the Word of God is described as the sword of of the Spirit. I want to tie two things together. The Word of God and the Holy Spirit. It is not sufficient for me to have the Word of God without the Holy Spirit. Are you with me? And vice versa. If it's the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will always lead me to the Word, always lead me to Jesus. If it's in the Word, the Word of God will always lead me to the Holy Spirit, to Jesus, to the Father. Amen? There's a, there's a connection. There's a harmony. And so we have to be aware of that. Uh, and as we look at this, what I want to do is just look at the Word of God. And I, wanna, I want us to look at what the Scriptures teach us about this Word and what we ought to know. Verse 12 of Hebrews chapter 4 reads this way. For the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Okay? Now let's look at those verses. Right? Look at all, all of the description we have there in regards to the Word of God. And now let's break down. Let's talk about what that means. The Word of God. When we go to the next slide. It reads this way. The Word of God, number one, the first thing is it's alive. See that? The Word of God is alive. John chapter 1, verse 1 says this, In the beginning was in the beginning was the Word. It says, And the Word was with? And then it says, And the Word was? And then John chapter 1, 14 says, And the Word became flesh. So there's a connection here that you and I need to get, that the Word of God is not just lifeless words that are laying dormant in pages on a book that's leather-bound, Right? The Word of God is His Son, Jesus Christ. There's a deep connection between God and His Word. They, they are inseparable. I know we, leave, we live in a culture where our Word basically means nothing. But according to Scriptures, God is not a man that He should lie or turn back on His Word. Amen? So therefore, there's a deep connection between who God is and the Word. They are one. Inseparable. It also it teaches us the Word is alive. Secondly, it teaches us that the Word of God is powerful. Powerful. And the King James says the Word of God is quick and powerful. And quick means vibrant, right? Uh, and, and the Word of God is powerful. You know how powerful the Word of God is? Is that Isaiah 55, 11 says this, that God, whenever He speaks His Word and sends His Word, His Word always accomplishes what He sends it to do. Isn't that amazing? Do you know that today? This is why it's good to know the Word of God, because the Bible says, that wherever God's word is, where he sent his word, his will is accomplished. That's a powerful truth. Another description of the word is this, that the word of God is a sharp 
two-edged sword. What is that about? Uh, the, the, the literal translation would be a sword with two mouths. In other words, it can cut from both sides. What is the significance of that? The significance of that. The kind of picture that the writer of Hebrews is trying to paint to us is that this sword uh, is, is devouring. When it comes to warfare, this sword is a devourer. No matter how you strike or how you go, how you use it, it's going to attack and it's going to affect whatever it is that you, that you use it for, right? And so, so is the Word of God. It is sharp. It is devouring, or to say it's over, it overcomes, right, in victory. Uh, alongside with, it penetrates, no matter how you swing it, right? The Word of God is a sharp two-edged sword. Revelations 19.15 talks about Jesus. The Bible says that Jesus is the one with a sword coming out of his mouth. Are you with me? Just a very powerful description. Now, what does the sword, what does this sword do? What does the word of God, amen, what does the word of God do? It divides soul and spirit, joint and marrow. What is that about? What does it mean that the word of God divides soul and spirit, joint and marrow? It's basically painting a picture that the word of God is able to divide between that's of the flesh and that's of God. The word of God can divide down to the dividing line down to the very jits of where it lies down to the core that's why it says bone and marrow right the word of god not our hearts not our thoughts the word of god is able to discern what is of god and what's not of god in our lives because i want you to know that in our hearts there are two things wrestling for our hearts and for the throne in our hearts that which is of god and that which is not of god that which is of the Holy Spirit, and that which is of the flesh. And the only way that we can gain discernment in regards to knowing what is of God and what's not of God is the Word of God. Because only the Word of God is the double-edged sword that's able to come in, penetrate, and draw the, the dividing line, right? So when we're reading our Word, and all of a sudden the Holy... Again, it's the Word and the Spirit of God. When we're reading our Word, we're before it knowing that the Holy Spirit's going to give us revelation. Because I, I can know the Word and have no revelation, right? with me so so when i come to the word of god i'll be reading the word and then all of a sudden the holy spirit would reveal to me you need to deal with this like oh that's for me one time i was preaching in the church and after i was done preaching i just felt like something was not right and i sat down and i opened my bible to john chapter 5 and i begin to read and the Bi- the verse said this jesus speaking to the pharisees he says you seek the scriptures because you think that in them you have life but you ignore me the reasons of, scrip- of scripture Turn to me. And I said, oh, those Pharisees really had it wrong. <laughs> that's where the Holy Spirit came and said, no, that's for you, son. Oh. Yikes. Amen. That's the work of the Word of God. When we're in it, the Word of God has the power to come and say, son, that's, that's of me. And this is not of me. I want you to grow in this. I need you to kill this. I, wanted you to, I want you to tune your ears to this. I want you to think and park here. I need you to drive away from that. Are you with me? That is the power of the word. It divides soul and spirit, joint and marrow. And listen, Galatians chapter 5 verse 20 talks about the difference of walking in the spirit and walking in the flesh and discerning. Uh, discerning. It also discerns. The word of God has an ability to discern what is it able to discern? The motivation of our hearts. 
I'm going to tell you something that intimidates me and keeps me going back to the word. The truth about you and I is that we cannot even discern the true motives of our hearts. Right? The Bible says that our hearts are the most deceitful things. Above, above everything, the heart is deceitful. Who can understand it, the Bible says. So in other words, our hearts can deceive us, can trick us to think that something is right when it's very wrong. It can trick us to think that something is acceptable when it's completely against the will of God. So how do I make sure that I'm not listening to the voice of my heart and that I'm listening to the voice of the Lord? The Word of God. When I take my heart to the Word of God and I say, God, show me your truth, then that double-edged sword comes in and says, that's not of me. This is. It discerns. It's able to discern, which means this. You and I have no discernment if we're not in the Word. You understand that? We are blindsided if we're not in the Word. Now, as we move forward, it also says this. There is nothing that is hidden from his eyes. So now we, hear a tr- we, we see a, a change in the communication. Number one, we're talking about the word, but then he says there's nothing hidden in his eyes. And it proves the first point. The word of God and God are inseparable. It proves that Jesus is the word. And so when we're referring to scriptures and we're reading scripture and we're seeking the Holy Spirit for guidance, that Jesus is there. And that nothing is hidden from his eyes. We may be able to fool others, But the Lord knows nothing is hidden from his eyes. Oh, of course, I don't, I forgive. I have no problem with forgiveness. I'm great. I I know, I've I've forgiven that fool. I hate him. (laughs) You know, we can say all the right things to people, but there's one person you can never fool, the Holy Spirit. Right? You know? Somebody comes up to me and says, would you forgive me? Would you please forgive me? Sure, I forgive you. <laughs> the Holy Spirit picks up all that language. Sometimes it's very obvious to us, but even when we're not, it's not obvious to us, you can never fool the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will wait there until you're ready to deal with that. It discerns. You can't hide. You can hide from me. You can hide, you can hide, we can hide our sin from every, we can be the greatest liars. We can be so great at lying that we can lie to ourselves and believe ourselves. But we will never lie to the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit will be right there just waiting. (laughs) Father, I don't feel your presence. Where are you? How come I don't see you near? It's like you haven't moved. Oh, because I'm I'm back here. We got to deal with this issue, with this lie. Are you with me? Here are some things that you and I need to know about the Word of God. Number one, we believe the Scriptures interpret Scripture. Now, this is just something for, for us to know. How, how are, why are we okay with different denominations in the Christian camp? Have you noticed that there are different churches, Baptists, Methodists, Lutherans, Pentecostals, Assembly of God churches, Church of God? Why are we okay with all the different denominations? What, why does that happen? This is what happens. We as Christians believe that Scriptures interpret Scripture. In other words, we don't believe that a man is so holy and so perfect that he by himself has the power to interpret Scripture for us, right? We don't believe that. We believe that when we look at the Bible and we read the Bible and we take one verse and we read it and when we don't understand it, go to another verse and read it, that the Bible itself interprets itself. 
So we as believers don't entrust our faith to our pastors. Are you with me? That's why that's the biggest difference between the Catholic Church and, and, the, and the Christian church, as I understand, is that the Catholic Church believes the church has the power to interpret the Scripture. We don't believe that. Now, the Scriptures is given to the church. But what we believe is that Scripture interprets Scripture, right? So we don't put our faith on a pope. We don't put our faith on a father. We put our faith on Christ alone, right? So that's the biggest difference. I'm not judging. I'm just saying this is where we stand. This is what we believe. So Scripture itself interpret scripture we stand strong on that reality so alongside with that here's something else we believe about we we have to do with scripture believers when it comes to scripture believers submit to the word rather than employ the word okay christians believe the they submit to the word of god rather than employ it for their benefit it seems to me like it's very easy for me to turn to the Word whenever I want something from God, right? Lord, I really want that Viper, that Dodge Viper. It's amazing. Can I buy it and get into debt? And maybe you'll work out all things for good for those who love you. I love you, God. I, I just want that Viper. Are you with me? Are you with me? Right? Oh, God, I... Oh, God, I know, I know that I, I shouldn't do this, but um, your, your mercies never run dry. So you're going to protect me, right? Even though I'm acting like a fool because your mercies never run dry. You know what I'm saying? These, these, I, I'm not, this is the way I think. I know you're too righteous for that. But sometimes I try to convince myself with Scripture that it's okay for me to sin. Are, are you with me? Right. And so I try to figure out if there's a loophole for me to justify my behavior in Scripture. And that's why we have to continue to turn to the Word of God. Believers, we don't come to the Word of God whenever it benefits us. We come to the Word of God and we submit to it. We say, God, we want you to be Lord in our lives. Oftentimes we get in the habit of running to God when we made a mistake and we, we've dropped the ball or something have happened and we run to God. And I want you to know, keep running to God. He's good. He'll listen to you when you run to God this way. That's exactly what he wants you to do. But it would be more awesome if we started running to God before we made the big mistake. Because if we ran to God and submitted to his word, that mistake wouldn't happen so, so often. Are you with me? Right? So we as believers, what we believe is that we cannot come to the Word and say, okay, what can I use for my benefit? I don't like that. No, no, no. We don't do that. Instead, we say, okay, what do you say in your Word? We're going to live by it. That's the big difference. I don't come to the Word of God to justify my behavior. I come to the Word of God to refine my behavior. I don't come to the Word of God so it can excuse my behavior. I come to the Word of God so I can be trained by the Word of God. So when I do counseling and I talk to people, the first thing I say is, listen, I am not a counselor. I'm a pastor. And my main responsibility is to do what the scripture says. Some of the things that the scripture tells me to say are going to be very uncomfortable for me and for you. Some of the things the scripture is going to tell me to say to you are things that, ah, oh, it's going to make me feel terrible. I wish I didn't have to say them. But I have a responsibility to submit to the word of God instead of people pleasing. Because if I'm not submitted to the word of God, really what I'm doing is I'm submitting myself to you and to my feelings. And when I'm submitting to myself and to my feelings, I'm no longer under the word of God that's able to discern the real issue. And I'm more than likely going to give you a Kool-Aid that you may like to drink. Because the Bible says in the last days, there will be teachers, people who will be looking for teachers who will satisfy their itching ears. 
if I'm not submitted to the word, if I'm not subject to the word, then all of a sudden I'm operating in my own deal and I'm leading not only myself but others into destruction. The Bible says in Timothy, be, pay attention to your doctrine and to your life closely that you may save yourself and your hearers. Do you understand this? Salvation is not about taking one verse. Christianity is not about taking one verse and li- choosing it. It's about taking the whole Bible and saying, you are Lord of my life. Train me. Train me. Let me just say this. It is very possible. Here's the next thing I want to share with you. It is very possible to know the word of God without walking in the revelation of it. Okay? It's very possible to know the word of God and not apply it to our lives. Okay? I can tell you that there's been things in my life where I know the word of God and, man, I haven't applied them to myself. Right? Prime example. We talked about this last week. Extending the grace of God and mercy to others and yet not being still enough to receive that same grace and mercy. Man, that same grace and mercy. This pastor needs that grace and mercy. Amen? And there are other examples. How many of us ever heard somebody preach to us and tell us to do something when they themselves aren't living it? How encouraging was that? Not at all, right? It's kind of hard to receive encouragement from somebody who's gossiping. Like, I don't know (laughs) what you may say to so-and-so when I'm not here, right? And so it's it's very possible that I can have all this knowledge of the Word and that I can be a scholar in the Greek and the Hebrew and not apply the Word to my life. So I want to tell you something. Maybe you're here and you're reading your Bible and you feel like you don't understand much. Just continue to read, step by step. Let the Holy Spirit reveal the Word to you. It doesn't matter how much you know. What matters is that what you know you're applying. Are you with me? Think about the Samaritan woman. She was there with Jesus, and Jesus said to her, Woman, I am the Messiah that is to come. She didn't sit there and say, oh, Okay, I should go to a seminary so I can tell people about you now. She didn't say, Oh, I should go to school now so that I can be a scholar and teach people about you. No, she immediately went into town and told people about who Jesus was. You and I are only responsible to take the word that God's revealed to us and live according to it. And I, I am convinced that if we live according to his word and that we, if we choose to be obedient to the word that we know, that his revelation will continue to grow in our lives. I'm super convinced of it. I'm completely convinced of it. As a matter of fact, I'm so convinced that probably 99% of the people who are here have heard incredible messages before. And that many of you have had great revelation of the Word of God. How many of y'all felt like at one point or another you received an incredible revelation from the Word of God? Raise your hand. Show a hand. Okay. The majority. Okay. So many of you felt that way. Now, the question is, don't raise your hand on this one, okay? How many of us are actually walking according to that revelation of that Word? Now, I've said this before. If the church would... Take a season and just stop preaching and tell the people of the church, hey, just start walking out what God has revealed. I think the, the world would change. The world would change. If we would be take, begin to take everything that we've learned from the Lord and begin to walk according to it, everything about our lives would change. That's all of us. Amen. So it is possible to know the word of God without walking in the revelation of it. We have a responsibility to know and to walk. And then the last thing I want to share with you, and we'll close with this, is this. We are to have communion and community with the Word of God. We are to have communion 
and community with the Word of God. Listen. We need to be about reading our Bibles daily. We need to be about being in the Word every day. You know, some of us, some of us may be at a different reading scale, you know? Some of us, unfortunately, like me, reading is something that we have to be very aggressive about because reading has been what we've done to go to sleep, right? We're like, the words of Jeremiah, the son of... Hilkiah, of the priests who were... We have to be about building a devotional life that's meaningful. Whether it's 15 minutes, whether you begin with 10 or 15 minutes or 20, 30 minutes, I'm not here to tell you what time frame. All I'm saying is that you need to go before your Father, before God. Say to God, I want to know you. Teach me how to read your word. Amen? And be about the practice of being in His word and, 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 and letting your mind be transformed by His word and asking the Holy Spirit to reveal to you the word of God. That is how we have communion with God. That is how we begin to know Him intimately and our eyes and our ears begin to be open to Him. Now, I say to people who ask me all the time, how do I begin to read the Bible? It's so complicated. There are so many different ways to read the Bible. Some people read three chapters of the Old Testament, three cha- chapters of the New Testament, and one Psalm and one Proverb. Right? Some people read that way. That way they're reading throughout their whole Bible. Some people read from Genesis all the way to Revelation. But I don't recommend that if you don't, if, if you don't understand the Bible as a whole. I really typically try not to recommend, unless somebody's walking with you, to read Genesis through Revelation because it may not make the greatest sense to you. I always encourage people to make it a habit. If you don't know how to read your Bible or where to begin, to begin with a gospel. Begin with the gospel of John. Begin a chapter at a time. Get to know Jesus. And I feel strongly that if you begin at the Gospels and you read there and you understand the Gospels, that more than likely you're going to understand the Old Testament a little bit better and the New Testament a little bit better, right? A step at a time. And if you have a problem with this, I don't mind being, uh, taking my time explaining this a little bit more, but if you have a problem with this, not understanding how to begin, I would love for you to talk to me. Talk to me. I love to connect with you and hear from you to figure out a good plan uh, of how you can begin to read your Bible, because it's important, amen, that you're about your devotional life, that you're building a regular time where you're constantly in the Word. Here's the other key. You have to have communion, or in other words, walk in intimacy with the Word, reading your Word daily, but you also have to have community with the Word. Community with the Word. In other words, in Acts chapter 2, when you see the disciples, every day they were hearing the teaching and they were having fellowship with each other. Uh, it, they didn't have the word, right? What they had was the testimony of the apostles. And what they did is they talked about this with each other. They were constantly remembering the things that the Lord had done and also expounding on the prophecies that Jesus fulfilled in the, in, that we know them to be in the Old Testament. And it is impossible to be a Christian and be a strong believer and have a strong devotional life if you're not having community. It's impossible. I'm not saying that a community has to look a certain way. But every believer needs a community. Because Jesus says, how can you say, uh, John says in 1 John, how can you say you love your brother, I mean that you love God when you don't even love your brother, when you hate your brother? It is impossible to be a Christian who has a strong devotional and spiritual life without being connected to a community of faith. So I want to challenge you here 
if we're going to grow in the Word of God, it's because we're in a community that's actually talking about the Word of God, that's giving you opportunities to have dialogue about the Word of God, and giving you an opportunity to grow and see the blind sides in your life through the Word of God. You know, I don't know about you, but I've been in churches where all of a sudden I'm sitting there and somebody done gave the pastor my diary or something. I don't keep a diary. But you know what I mean? Somebody's given him my journal. Somebody's told them what's been going on with my life. That man is reading my mail. That person who's testifying is, he, he's saying everything I'm going through. Anybody ever had that experience? Right? And so, somebody's like, right now, pastor, can you please shut up? No. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? So, so, you know, that happens. And those moments are pivotal. They're important for us to respond to him and grow in Christ when we don't have that in our lives. What happens is, is that we keep blinded. So what I'm saying is, you and I have blind sides. Each and every one of us. We have blinders. We can have the Word of God. We can be reading it daily. We can be in communion with God in His Word and in prayer. But if you don't have a community, you will be blindsided. That's what I'm... Somebody, Pastor, are you trying to tell me that if I read my Word daily, and if I pray daily, and that if I... If, I, if I'm doing this all the time and I am not sinning, you're trying to tell me that my Christianity is going to be weak. Yes. I'm trying to tell you Christianity is weak. It's anemic. Every one of us need people to speak into our lives because we can even take the Word of God to, edif- to encourage our self-righteousness. Are you with me? Community is vital. Community is vital. I can't tell you how many testimonies I've heard of people who have, have fallen because of lack of community. And I can't tell you the amount of mistakes I've made because I've separated myself from community. Are you with me? Amen. Would you stand with me today? Let's pray. Pastor, I really liked the message. I was really happy at, until you talked about that last point. Because I love Jesus. I really do. I just don't like people. I love Jesus, but people are messy. They make mistakes. And I don't got time for mistakes. We've all thought that way, huh? Hey, look, there are people here. I know. I know. I've been there. Who are saying, Pastor, I've just been so wounded by people that I don't know that I can take the step of faith to open my heart up again to community. I know, I know, I understand that. What I'm saying to you is this that God intends you to be in that faith community because you cannot grow without it. We cannot grow without it. Your wound is very real, your wound is very hurt. Some of you can say, Pastor, I have a hard time being a part of community because of the hurts I've experienced in the church. In the church. I, I'm sincerely sorry that you've experienced that. But know that it was an attack of the enemy to keep you from the very thing that would help you grow, community. And men, can I talk to you for a minute? You and I need to get off our high horse. The Bible it's not a tool for us to become our better us. 
The Bible is not a tool so that we can be a self-help. It's not a self-help book to show how productive we can be. The Bible is not about survival of the fittest and who can have the strongest testimony. It's not about that. We need community desperately. We men need community desperately, which means that we need to be able to put that pride to the side and seek out men who can speak into our lives and seek out men that we can speak into their lives. But both of those things need to be happening. We have a very sick culture in the church when we don't have community. Are you with me? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the sword of the Spirit. The living Word of God is so amazing. It's so powerful. If it wasn't for your Word, God, we would be caught in deception following our own ways. But God, we thank you for your word that is able to show us our blindness and teach us to walk in the truth. Hmm. I'm so thankful. Lord, I understand as well that your scriptures interpret scripture. Believe that. I believe that strongly. Your Holy Spirit reveals scripture to us. But I also believe that you've made us in such a way that we depend on each other to do the spiritual walk, to do the scriptures together, to hold each other accountable in a way that would honor you. I thank you that I have brothers around me who have made a covenant with their eyes not to look at pornography, not to look at things that don't please you, and that they call me and that I call them, and we hold each other accountable to make sure that our eyes are pure for the sake of our family. Lord, I thank you that there are uh, brothers who encourage me, and they call me God, and deal with certain issues and rebuke me, Father God, when I need to be rebuked that they love me enough to speak the truth. Hmm. There's a proverb in the Bible that says, better is the rebuke, better is the rebuke of a friend than, than love never spoken. And some of us have this idea that says, well, I love them, so I don't want to say anything that will hurt them. That's not love. Love rebukes. Love looks at a brother in Christ and says, Brother, I'm really concerned for you. I'm concerned about this, and that's part of community. Father, right now, I thank you for teaching us to walk in humility, God. For giving us the breakthrough that we need, Father, as your people, that we would walk in community as we do your word. I thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. As we're praying here today, I want to take a time to just give you an opportunity to respond to the Lord and to the message today. If the altar workers will come up, maybe you're here today and you're saying, you know what, Pastor? I haven't submitted myself to the Word. I'm more turned to the Word to see how it could benefit me. And I want to make a public declaration today that I want my life to be submitted to the Word of God and that I'm going to obey what the Word of God tells me. I realize today that I've very quickly taken on the good part of the word or certain part of the word and then certain part I didn't really want to get into because I didn't I just don't want to be held accountable there but now I understand that that doesn't work I need to be submitted to the full counsel of his word that's you today right now as we're praying would you come up to the altar you're saying I want to make a public confession today that I want to submit my life to the full word of God I want to make a public confession today to submit my life to the full word of God to the full word of God. I'm going to tell you that. Maybe you, you're, you've been a believer all your life and 
in your and you're saying today as you heard this message there was an area that God told you very clearly this area of your life hasn't been submitted to me this area of your life has not been submitted to me if that's you would you come up to the altar uh, let, let's pray let's pray together amen or maybe you're here and you're saying pastor I love the word I love the church but I really have an issue with community some serious wounds there some things that some you got serious wounds some are like I really don't don't want to take the time to do that but I realize how important that is today and I need prayer in that area if that's you would you come to the altar right now let's pray together let's pray together let's pray together men of God you're here and you recognize you are a fright train you are on your own listening only to the counsel of your own heart you realize the danger of that that's you today would you come to the altar let's ask the Lord together let's ask him teach us to build community teach us God to do your word in community is that you today woman of God you're here and you're you're hurt or wounded in certain relationships and you've said I won't open that door again would you come before the Lord and ask him to heal your heart of that offense the altars are open. God bless you. May the grace of the Lord be with you. May his face shine on you. Amen. God bless you. Be about his word.